Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. I don't know if you've read the book or not, but it's a dated book, but it's created quite a controversy through all of the decades. It's a book by J.D. Salinger called The Catcher in the Rye. I don't know if you've read it or not. I find it interesting of all of the interpretations that people have come up with that have created such a dynamics about the book, but I'm not here to discuss that. Some of you might disagree that I would actually talk about the book. Some of you might agree that's not really the issue. But in the book, there's a main character. His name's Holden Caulfield. He's a 16-year-old boy that has an issue going on as he looks out in the world and thus... In the time that the book was written, I understand maybe some of the interpretation that's created the controversy. But there's a moment in the book that Holden has this dream that he believes his life is really all about. As he looks at the world in which he's living, and he says, the dream is this, hence the title of the book. I see children running through fields of rye. But the rye has grown so tall, the children can't see where they're going. They look like they're having a good time. But they're running aimlessly and don't realize at the end of the field is a cliff. And the children are running off the cliff. Before they can catch themselves as they're running through this field of rye. He says, I guess what I want to be is I want to keep them from falling off the cliff. I want to be a catcher in the rye. I want to stop them from losing their innocence. Well, church, if I could just clarify to you in all the years of why I'm in ministry, it isn't because it pays well. It isn't because of somehow I get something back in the sense of strokes. Because to be honest with you, there's probably more pokes than there are strokes. But I feel a lot like Holden Caulfield. I look at our world today and it seems to me as I look through the lens of the Word of God, and I'm not even talking to those who are lost right now who don't even know Christ. I'm talking about the church. This morning my phone went off in my office and my dad threw me out a text. I always love it when he texts me at 80 years old. No offense, Dad, I'm just shocked you know how to use that. (laughs) But I wrote him talking a little bit about, we started exchanging dialogue and I told him about a new series that we really introduced last week, but we're launching about being the real McCoy. I said, Dad, we're just trying to get back to the word as our authority And then a life that would follow out and live off this faith. The altar was full last night. But I found it interesting that one lady was frustrated. She said, why can't you just be positive and tell us how great we are? My dad wrote back, the entitlement generation. What is mine is first. What is yours is second. And our children are third. Seems everything is about me. Poor people. 
My fear is, son, that we can't pull it out of this mindset. And I wrote back, my fear too, Dad. He said, have a good day. I fear the same. I feel the church has drifted so far from what it means to be Christian. And it's difficult for me when we live in a world that has now wrapped around itself pastors who tell us what we want to hear. And I wonder how many of us have gone from church to church to find what we're looking for, notice that, rather than seeking the one who's been looking for us. I don't know what is the real McCoy. People who grew up in the church like the older generation that spends more time talking to me about wishing they'd play the songs they grew up with. Is that the real McCoy? Is the real McCoy where we don't give to the church, where we put $5 in an offering plate and it seems so big, but when we play hundreds of dollars to go to a Vikings game, it just seems so little? Is that the real McCoy? Is the real McCoy where people who've grown up in church don't even bring their Bibles to church even though they claim to be a follower of Christ? Is that the real McCoy? Is the real McCoy when you get hurt, you sit around with your other Christian friends that you so-called call yourselves Christians and talk about everybody else who's not in the room? Is that the real McCoy? I'm not trying to put anybody in defense. I'm just telling you it's the world I live in today. I find it interesting that one of our older people would say, I just wish he'd have a positive message and tell us how great we are. I can't find that in the Bible. My Bible says every way in the minds of man leads to death. My Bible says that our hearts are wicked. Who can even understand it? My Bible says there is no good person on planet earth. Even Jesus, the one who we claim is Savior, said, don't even call me good. Only my Father in heaven is good. What is the real McCoy? I hear people talking about revival, but they don't want to be the revival. I hear people in church talking about how bad the government rather than the one that rests on his shoulders. I hear people talking about if we could just get rid of Trump, if we could just get rid of Obama. I just wonder if heaven says, man, I just wonder if we just got rid of you. We're supposed to be the light. Or to be light in darkness, not sit around as the light and talk about the darkness. See, I just was so grateful to my dad because I went back to him after he said, have a good day. And I said, Dad, I want to tell you. Now I'll read to you what I wrote. I just wanted my dad to understand, even though ministry is hard in this generation, Dad, even though at times I'm the reason in dealing with my own growth, I just want to thank you. I love what I do. Thank you for listening to God and directing me towards such an amazing call. I love you, Dad. I love the fact that my dad is an 80-year-old man. And he's back in full-time ministry. 
He didn't give his life thinking about what is his, that one day when I'm 65, I'm going to sit on my butt and do nothing for God. I love the fact that my dad said, there'll be a day I retire. It's called heaven. Until then, we got work to do. And let's get back about the Father's business. Church, I'm pretty ramped up in these futile days that lie before us. I'm more about the urgency and about the seriousness of what's going on than I've ever been. I don't want to be a church of comfort. I want to be a church that we walk in this room and we're hungry for the very presence of God. And we don't ask God to change those around us. We beg God to wreck the person within us. Because your prayers of the world changing around you will not fix the world until you let God change the ugly in you and the selfishness and the self-righteousness. When we get over ourselves and get back under the incredible presence of God, things begin to change. Amen, church? Now, we're not going to sit quiet and wait for your Starbucks to kick in, church. Okay? <laughs> We're, we're, we're high on caffeine. His name's Jesus. Let's get to work, okay? Because I believe that God still wants to do something. Even though I've said I don't believe his hand is on this nation anymore, of which I do not believe, I don't think that's a discouragement because his hand is on the remnant. And God can still do an amazing work because I read it throughout Scripture. He still is the great I am. He still is worthy of praise. And he can still kick Satan's butt. And I'm telling you. And we've got to believe it. Church, we've got to believe it. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to go to Luke. The Gospel of Luke. And we're going to begin a journey about what it means to be the real McCoy. But you need to listen. I can't do that for you. My goal is not to preach to convince you of anything. Even though like Paul, I beg of you. Paul would say, I plead with you. He would write, all I can do is lay the truth out there. But you've got to decide the attitude of your heart if you're going to be receptive or not. You've got to decide when God makes the call that you're going to pick up the receiver and say, have your way. Have your way, Lord. Church, listen. If we're going to be the victorious church, that God created, if we're going to be those Christ followers that have real power, real authority, real substance, the real McCoy, we're going to need a move of the Holy Spirit. Man, we're going to need a move of the Holy Spirit. A move that the Spirit requires that we get out of our own conventional wisdom. That we get away from our own bigoted prejudices, and intolerant viewpoints that we put aside our fleshly ideas and we crowd to God saying, God, you show me more. You take me higher and you do your will in my life. Luke 15. For some of you, this is a very familiar story. But let me tell you, I think one of the great problems in the church, but I know someone and I don't mean this to disrespect. I can only tell you what's been said, and I, I, I won't ever use names. You, you have to play it out the way you want. I just find it interesting that some people say, I just need to go to a place where I get some new material. 
Let me tell you something. What the church needs to do is start majoring on the old material. We don't need any new crap. That isn't what it means to be fresh. The freshness of God is that He resurrects Himself within you and you desire that. The Scriptures don't need to change for God so loved the world. He gave His only begotten Son. And if Keith Lloyd would get off the throne of his own stupid life and ideas, I could experience salvation like never before. We need the old gospel resurrected. And then we get new life that he promised. Amen? And so I like preaching the familiar because I'm still a student of the familiar. I just still haven't gotten it right. Maybe you're better than I. But I'm just telling you, this old truth is still the good truth. And it's the right truth that will change our lives. Amen? So if you don't have a Bible, we want to get you one. Like I told you last week, if you're a guest, I, I did say this. We're the church that tears up Bibles, just so you know that. I know it freaked a lot of people out, but I hope you understand something. That I'll do whatever it takes. I love this word more than anything you can imagine. But if it bothered you to tear a page out of a book, why doesn't it bother you when you tear out pages of his truth in your own life? To just justify your life. I'd rather have you naked in this room with the word of God than clothed without it. You need the truth. We need this truth if we're going to experience freedom. Amen? So if you got your Bibles, Luke 15. Luke 15. And I'm going to begin in the 11th verse. Look what it says. There was a man who had two sons. How many sons? Two. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so the father divided his property between them. Just to highlight this real quickly, you need to understand something. God has no problem giving you what you want. He isn't going to fight over relationship with you because he already died for it. Some of you would say, well, I just want a church that just tells me what I want to hear. And God go, okay, you can have that. What else would you like? I want my wife to serve me, even though I'm going to treat her like crap. Okay, that's what you want. I just wonder what it was like for the father when his son said, I wish you were dead, Dad, so I could have what's mine. Love has an amazing thing about God. He's not going to argue that with you. It's just the great problems in our nation right now because we think we know more than God. That's all Fox News is. It's all CNN is. A lot of people with a lot of opinion. But when I turn them on, I don't hear the Scripture being taught. You know why? We don't need the Scripture because my opinion is more important. Well, your opinion doesn't fix anything. God's word does. But it's no wonder what that must have done to the Father and what it does when He watches us turn from Him because we think we know better. But in the brokenness of His love, He gives the boy what He wants because the boy thinks he knows best. Look what happens, verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he'd had. 
And he set off for a distant country. Can I tell you what a distant country is? It's not measured in miles. It's measured right now where you're probably sitting. You can be in the Father's presence and be in the distant country. It's amazing to me how many times we're in the presence of the divine and we don't even know it. We have no idea. So he set off for a distant country and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out as a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill the stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Can I just say this before we go to prayer? It's amazing to me how many people call you friend and how quickly they can turn. Anybody figure that one out yet? It's amazing when you're on top of the mountain how everybody wants to be so close to you, but when you're walking the valley, it seems that you're doing that more alone than you are with those. Welcome to planet Earth. Father, we need help. Man, I know I do. There's one thing I'm pretty sure of right now is I'm not you. I desperately need you. God, we all do. I don't want to preach another message. I don't want to say a few words that make us feel a little bit better about ourselves, God. We need a movement of the Spirit. God, I'm begging you, fall on us. God, speak through me in ways you've never spoke before. God, I'm listening. I don't want us to have even that rightful attitude that we're going to listen. But God, our listening says that, Lord, You do as You will. That, God, I want to respond and obey. So, God, we give You this time. It's Yours. We ask it in Jesus' name and everyone says, Amen. If you got your notes, take them out. I want to give you some keys as we start into this new series Basic instruction, if you will, about what it means to be truly the real McCoy. I told you in coming out of this Dream On series that I've looked at myself and said, okay, my job is to help this church get pointed in a direction, to preach truth in such a way. And I told you, we're going to go back. We're going to start to sing over because church doesn't make you a Christian. I don't care how long you sit in a pew in the presence of God, how you grew up has nothing to do with Christianity, folks. How you give, what you do, we need to get back to what it really means to be a follower of Christ because this world desperately needs this. Amen? And I need your involvement. Come on, we need to get involved in this thing. I'm not asking you to shout things out to look stupid. I'm asking you, let's just get real before God and let's quit playing church and let's be the church. Let's get hungry. If you're a guest, I want to say this to you because you might be sitting right line, but I'm not sure about all this Jesus stuff. I just want to say a few things to you real quickly. And first is this, welcome. We're really glad that you're here. I'm pretty sure if I said, tell me all the bad things you've done, I'm pretty sure you wouldn't do that because there's a great fear right now in our society because we're so quickly judged, aren't we? But I want you to know, you don't have to do that in this room. But God knows where you've been, and He loves you. He absolutely loves you. He's not mad at you. He's not down on you. He's not against you. 
Maybe you're skeptical about this Christian thing because you've watched Christians not be Christians, not be the real McCoy. I get that. But I'm asking you, I'm asking you for the next several weeks, I hope you'll come back and I hope you give God a chance and don't let God's reputation be ruined by mine. He's still an awesome God. And I, I want you to know something. Nobody's perfect in this room. If they tend to think they're perfect, oh my goodness, just let me know and I'll help remind them. Okay? Because <laughs> I know I'm not. Your pastor's not perfect. I'm seeking the one who is, but I'm not perfect. But if you're also one of those people, I'm just looking for the perfect church. Well, you're never going to find one. Because the moment you go in there, it's no longer perfect. Play on that one a moment. Nobody's perfect. And so let's just seek him together and watch what God can do. Amen? Let's seek him together. So if you got your notes, I'm going to give you some keys to what it means to be the real McCoy. Out of this story about a young boy who thinks he knows best. And here's the first thing I want you to write in. We have to get to a point where we get fed up with who we are. Let me say it again. We have got to get to a point, if we're going to understand what it means to be the real McCoy, to be an authentic relationship with this God through Jesus Christ, we've got to first get fed up with who we are. And church, I don't think we're there. Maybe another way to say it is this. Think about it. How can you really be found if you don't even know you're really lost? How do you get saved from drowning when you don't even know you're drowning? We've got to get fed up. We've got to get fed up. And some of you right now are in the far country. Can I tell you what the far country is? The far country is, and let me just say it this way, is when you have just enough Jesus, like a life insurance policy in case something goes wrong, or you think you need life and you don't need Jesus. That's called the far country. Because I want you to listen to this very carefully. I don't need Jesus on my bad days. I need Jesus every day. Because there is no good day without Jesus. My Bible says, He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. You won't earn your way into heaven. God's not impressed by what we can do. As if somehow He's like, whoa, never saw that one before. There's nothing good in us, folks, unless it's Jesus. Unless it's Jesus. And some of you will probably have to stay in the far country. Even at the end of the series, you're just going to have to stay there. And I'm going to be praying as a pastor prayed for me in my early days of youth ministry. He brought me into his office and said, Keith, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. And I was like, you know, feeling pretty good at the moment. He said, thank you. I appreciate it. He said, no, you don't understand. I pray for you every day. I pray that God allows your life to be completely wrecked. I pray that maybe you have to lose it all. Tears started running down my cheek and said, why would you pray that? He says, because God can't use you until it's all of him and none of you. Some of you will have to stay in the far country. You may have to check out and find a different church. You may have to just keep running justifying your behavior, tearing pages out of the scripture, trying to make it fit in so you can feel good about yourself. That's just a far country. 
But until you get fed up and realize you have nothing without Jesus, you ain't never going to experience Jesus. I'm so tired of the gospel, what I call hokey pokey Christianity. Got the one foot in, got the one foot. You know, they found the dude. I told you that, didn't I? They found the dude that actually wrote that song. I had a friend go to his funeral and I said, I knew it was the guy who wrote it because when they had the casket, they had one foot in and one foot out. Um, so, <laughs> okay, anyway. but, but, but it is. I see Christians doing it all the time. You know it? I got my life right in, but tomorrow I'll put my life with my friends. I know how to act like Christ in the weekend and treat my family like crap during the week. I bring my Bible on the weekend. I don't read it during the week. It's no wonder your life is all turned about. He's not a hokey pokey Jesus. He's the real thing. And he wants us to be the real McCoy. The prodigal son did not know he was lost until he lost everything. Until everything. The key to Christianity, you ready for this? Is dying to yourself. The key to Christianity is dying to yourself. I have nothing to offer God. I have nothing. I just read a book by John Gray called Winning Within, and I love something he said. One of the most incredible places when you get to a point and realize all the gifts that God gave you, he doesn't need. All the gifts that God gave Keith, he doesn't even need them. He just wants me to be surrendered fully, completely. Folks, anybody who's full of themselves can never be filled with the presence of God because there's no room for two masters. Paul wrote it this way. I am very aware. Paul wrote this in Romans 7. I'm very aware that in me, that is in my flesh, there is nothing good. And until you and I get sick and tired of being sick and tired, we're going to keep being sick and tired. Until you and I get sick and tired of being sick and tired, we're going to walk around and keep being sick and tired. We're not going to have the joy set before us because we still got this junk within us. It's time for us to get desperate, to get hungry. As Jesus said, when you thirst for me, you will satisfy. Prophet Jeremiah said this, you'll find me when you get serious about finding me. And you want it more than anything else. By the way, can I tell you something? Losing everything isn't a bad place to be. I say it to people all the time. They come to me, oh, pastor, pray for me. We just lost our house. And I say, that's not bad. I mean, here's the flip side. I said, you could still have the house, but you've lost your life forever. We can rebuild a house. We can get a new car. Can I show you in the story? It says he wasted everything. He had nothing left. He got desperate and hungry. That's not a bad place to be because here's what the Bible says. And then... He came to his senses. 
He came to his senses, which is number two. Write it in. The next step is we've got to own up now to our sin. Once we get fed up with our lives, we've got to own up to our sin, not someone else's sin. We're not going to keep blaming someone else. When I was a youth pastor, I shared with kids all the time. I would meet with them and all their family, and I'd let the kids understand this. When we're all done with this ministry, I'm sorry if you were sexually abused. I'm sorry if you were beaten down. I'm sorry. But I said, all you kids, look at me. Ten years from now, if you grow up to be an idiot, it's because you chose to be an idiot. You're not going to grow up and blame everybody else in your past for the life you're choosing to live today. That's not Christianity. God can take a hurt and make it into hope. God can take a sorrow and turn it into joy. Man can wreck a life. God can resurrect a life. And it's time, church, that we let God do what he can do and quit blaming man for everything they've done. By the way, I'll listen to people blaming when you can live a perfect life. It's time to quit blaming the past and let God resurrect the moment so you can start living in a future. By the way, can he not take your hurts and now use it for promise and to allow you to minister to another life? Story after story. The Apostle Paul, I remind you. Look what happens, verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, he was fed up. He says to himself, an important conversation, this is crazy. At my father's home, even the lowest paid workers eat well. I'm going to return home to my father. Watch what he does. Humbly says, Father, I have sinned against you and God. He owns up. Isaiah 59 says, our sins have separated us from God, and thus he has hidden his face from us. He has hidden his face from us. Folks, listen to this. We tend to think idols are some kind of little statue. It looks like some little person. And that people bow down to worship. But an idol could be your car. An idol could be your job. An idol could be a dress. It could be fashion. It could be anything that you love and give more time to than God. And may we never forget the second commandment. Thou shall have no other gods before me. And by the way, money, success, golf, none of these are bad things. They just don't deserve to be first place in your life. So you've got to own up. What is it? You've got to own up to your sin because nothing's hidden. The Bible says that God knows all things. If you want transformation, you want to start being the real McCoy, you've got to take responsibility for yourself. And you've got to look at God in the eyes because he already knows. And he's not mad at you. He's just waiting for you to be broken. And let him do what he can do. David did it in Psalm 51. He says, be merciful to me, O God. Wipe away my sin. Wipe away my sin. Wash away all my evil and make me clean. I recognize my faults. And I'm conscious that I have sinned against you. I'm going to say something here that's going to kind of freak you out. But I want you to listen very carefully. It might be the most powerful line that I say in this entire message. You will never experience sonship with God until you're willing to be demoted to servant before God. You will never become a child of God until you can sit here right now and say, I'm perfectly fine being your servant. 
This boy teaches us something in a moment of humility of what it means to be broken. He says, I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to tell my father I have sinned against you and God. And then he says this, take me back as one of your servants for I am not worthy. And he's right. Nobody in this room is worthy to be a child of God. It's only because of the adopting blood of Jesus that we get put into the royal family of God. That's why I'm concerned about the church today, that there's a lot of people sitting in the church always spending more time talking about what's in it for me. Well, I go to that church, you know, I grew up in the church, and I, 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 I've grown up in, you know, and I've been around it, and, and I, I just, you know, I've been in the church all my life and that stuff. I just need to go to church where I get fed. Well, obviously, you have not been growing up. It makes, makes me wonder if you even saved at all. Well, I just go to that church because I like the music, so... So what you're telling me is that you can't worship God unless the music is the way you want it to be. So it's still about you. That's not the evidence of Christianity, folks. Christianity is a surrender of you. It's the surrender of you. It's when you get broken before the God and you're so fed up with yourself and you start owning up your sin and you realize, I can't fix the world. I can only change me before God. And I've got to let God just work in my life. I want to be in a place, God, you just tell me, you speak to me, you show me. Church, it's important you understand this because that was the attitude of Jesus in Philippians 2. Jesus, who was in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And it was Jesus who said, don't ever call me good, only the Father is good. I do the will of my Father in heaven. Folks, this is important. None of us are worthy. And our sin separates us from God. We should be more concerned about our sin before God than our sainthood before man. We should be more concerned about the open arms of God than the applause of man. That's what it means to be the real McCoy. But I want to show you one last thing, and I'm going to invite the team to the stage. We got to get fed up. We got to own up. But this is probably what I'm about to say the most important thing, and why I think the church is in the state that it's in right now. Because we've lost something in this generation. We have forfeited something that I think that we have missed in this story that is so significant to what it really means to be the real McCoy. And here's number three. You got to get up and start getting back to God. And you say, what am I talking about that? Today, the altar call doesn't mean much. I hear people come to me and say, well, God will just meet me where I'm at. You all ready for this, even though I've preached it? He may be able to meet you there, but I'm pretty sure he can't change you there. Because you're inviting him into you where you're at rather than getting off your butt and start getting back to where he's at. Home with the Father. You might want to read the story. He didn't get up and leave the home. You might say, yeah, he did. He left his throne of glory. I remind you, when Jesus died and did what he came to do, he went back to the Father. 
of where he sits at the right hand of the Father. Home is where the heart is. My heart wants to be home. I might get a little emotional here, but I've said things like this, but I want you to understand what drives me because there's a significance in the attitude. See, I don't like it when people say, I just want Jesus to come back. I just want Jesus to come back. I'm not a fan of that. Why? Because I have people that I love dearly. If Jesus came back today, they would go to hell. And my name's written in the book of life. Therefore, I don't care when he comes back. He'll come back when he said he wants to come back, and I'm going to leave that in his hands. I think it's an absolute sin when human beings think they can figure it out. Well, I prayed to God, and God told me in the next year he's going to come back. Well, that's interesting. He'd tell you, but not his son? Because Jesus said, I don't even know. So the chances are, if Jesus doesn't know, you ain't going to figure it out. And I think it's a sin to spend time and try to figure that out. Because while you're trying to figure that out, you're forsaking what God loves more than anything, lost people. We're supposed to live every day as if today could be the day. And what gets me out of bed every day, it's not my wife, it's not my children. It's this incredible discontent that I live in a broken world and Jesus is the answer. I never stop thinking about it. I dream it. I picture what it's like that one day every chair will be filled and people are packed on the wall because God's moving in such a way and people are so broken and hungry. And I'm just believing it's going to happen in this series. Like I do every series. I believe God's going to do something in the next seven weeks going to blow our minds. That's how I'm coming. I wake up and I'm driven by that because one day I'm going to be home with the Father. All I'm trying to tell you is this. Just like the boy, he got fed up with his life, he owned up to a sin, and he pointed his feet in the direction of home. And he started going back to the Father. And the Bible says that when the Father saw his head starting to grace the horizon, the Father, the Bible says, was looking for the Son, and he saw the boy coming up the road, he ran out and met him. And it was an incredible, unbelievable encounter. Some of you need to get up. It's your problem. You ready for this? Your sin isn't pornography. Your sin isn't because you're a bad husband or, or, or wife. That's not your sin. You don't lie. Maybe you tithe. Your sin is that you've been playing church for a lot of time, long time. You just sit. You don't serve anywhere. You don't mentor anybody. I'm always blown away. My desire in this church is that if you're an older couple, an older person, you've been in the church for a while, been a Christian, you should be mentoring the younger people. If you've been that godly for so long, can you imagine all the wisdom you have? Why are you not imparting that to others? The Bible says that you have to. It doesn't give you an option. The Bible instructs it. My heart is that our older people would start saying, listen, I'm, I'm going to start mentoring. I'm going to call up Pastor Austin and, and, and JR and, and that entire team. And I'm going to get, I, I want to mentor these young people. I want to help them understand what I had. And I'm going to pass it on. I'm going to help them grow. 
I always tell the reason why the church is leading the divorce right now is because younger couples think they know so much, they know so little. One of the best things you can do if you just got married or getting married, you should find a couple in this church that have been married 30, 40, 50 years and say, we want to meet with you once a month. But only pride will keep you from that because you think it's sex. I know that to be true because if you're not married and you're having sex, that's your God. Obviously, His Word isn't. I'm just being up front. Now you'll probably get mad, go somewhere else because you need to go to a church where they tell you what you want to hear. But I'm not here to tell you what I'm here. I'm trying to tell you what the Word says because that truth will set you free because Jesus said that. But these are all biblical instructions of what it means to be the real McCoy. My greatest passion are our younger people. we got more interns coming this summer than we've ever had in the history of the church. I can't wait for them to get here. I'm now a professor at two different schools and in this next few months, I'll be at three different colleges. One in Canada, two in the United States. Why do I do it? Not because I want to teach. It's because I love to teach the next generation. I want to help them every way I can. I'm just trying to figure out how to give my life away, God, every way I can and pass the baton to the next generation that they'll win. And the only baton to pass is this right here. And this will never get passed until I get fed up with Keith Loy, until I own up to my sin and I turn my feet and start getting back home with the Father. And some of you need to get home. Some of you need to get home. By the way, I will just say this. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that that boy slept that night. I'll bet he rested in a way he hadn't for a long, long time. It's just something about being home, isn't there? And when you're wanted home. The team's going to sing, but I want to show you something I find interesting in the attitude of this young man. In verse 12 we read, give me what is mine, he says to his dad. Seven verses later, he says, make me what is yours. He starts out saying, give me. And when he loses everything and finally gets fed up and broken and owns it up, and he goes back to the father, he looks at the father and says, make me. Make me your servant. Make me what you want. I'm not worthy of anything. I just want to be home. I just want to be home with you. And some of you, you need to get off that mindset. Well, God can meet me where we're at. He didn't want to meet you where you're at. He wants you to get up. And He wants you in that physical attitude to turn your heart toward Him. That's why the altar exists. And so the team's going to sing. And I'm going to invite you what is it? What is it that you need to really get before God? Because He knows. What is it? Do you need to surrender your marriage to God? Is there an addiction? Is there an attitude that you know that isn't righteous? I'm asking you right now as the team sings, I want you to get up and come to the altar. It's time to come home. It's time to come home. It's time to quit worrying about who's sitting next to you, around you, all that. It's time for you to get up.
And age is irregardless, church. The cross of Jesus has an incredible thing about it in our lives. How easy we can mess things up. But over time, with the cross of Jesus, it's amazing. He truly can take what is red as crimson and he can make it as white as snow. And the old is gone, the new has come, all because of Jesus. All because of Jesus. Are you fed up? Are you really broken? Then get up and let's come home to the Father. Let's come home to the Father.